Hi everyone, Luke here. This week we had a bit of an, another issue. We're having issues all over the place with some technical things. Uh, the the platform that we use to record our podcast on it crashed completely for everyone around the world uh, about 14 minutes into our podcast. I think it was down for like six hours. So we had to quickly switch to a different platform with uh, less audio quality, lower audio quality. So a bit of a change there about 15 minutes in. But uh, it's a really cool chat and uh, yeah, shout out to the Wolf of the Willows guys for joining us and getting sidetracked with us on all sorts of issues and it was a, a lot of fun and uh, I really can't wait to go visit them and sit in some sunshine, listen to some planes fly over and drink a beer. Welcome to Isle of a Time. Uh, wait, that's not how I introduce this, is it? Rarely, no. Yeah, yeah no, that's how that's I do fine. it if I'm doing a pre-record voiceover. Dave, how are you going? I'm great. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, good, good. Um, a little bit of flailing, but other than that, pretty good. So it um, wouldn't be an Isle of a Time podcast without some flailing at the start, hey? It's very on brand at this point. Uh, let's just welcome our guests straight away. Uh, Scott and Renee from Wolf of the Willows. How are you both going over there? Hello, Dave and Luke. Thank you very much for having us this evening. Um, yeah, we're all right. We're, uh, you know, muddling on through things, I suppose. There's only there's only way to say it, really, isn't it? Um, you know, keeping a smile on our face. We've got a beer in our hand, so that's the main thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is our thing, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I've just opened one of your beers, the uh, InnerVision 2. Uh, what was it? Azaka Citra Galaxy DDH Hazy IPA. Uh, Dave, what have you got over there? I um, opened myself a Lark Barrel Aged Imperial JSP. Oh, top shelf. Exactly. I saved this. Uh, I saved it for the chat. Um, so it's gorgeous. It's unbelievable. I um, I think I, I would say this even if you both weren't here, but I think that might be one of my favorite beers of the year if not my favorite beer of the year. It was so good. Uh, I can understand why though. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good stuff. That one. Tasty. T- tell us about that one. What's the, um, the Lark project that's a couple of years in now. What's the story behind that? Oh, well, first of all, you're too kind. Luke. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. So that, that particular collaboration is something that we've, now been lucky enough to be part of for four years. So this will be the fourth version of basically a beer that we make the, the barrel the hero. So whereby we uh, partner with Lark, we get to select certain barrels that they have coming out for uh, decanting and then get those barrels literally within, you know, five, six, uh, maximum sort of 10 days after they've been emptied. And then we actually fill them with an imperial or obviously higher ABV version of our uh, Johnny Smoke Porter. So depending on on the year, depending on the barrels that we get, uh, depending on the environmental conditions, the, the actual beer that comes out of those when we package it has ranged from 
11.8% right up to, I think, 13.8% as well over the years. So wow. um, fair bit of variability, actually. Um, Is there like a magic day, like um, like a magic number of days after you've received the barrels that you want to try and fill it? <laughs> Same day, hopefully. <laughs> so as early as possible, trying to get as much out of it as possible? As early as possible. Yeah, um, cool. It, look, sometimes that's not as easy as, well, easy as it sounds, uh, simply because of brew schedules and obviously transport companies and uh, all those uh, small but very important um, considerations. But what we've actually learned now is to try to fill the barrels or get barrels in winter and then that means that if there is a little bit of variability then we're not getting any uh sort of evaporation or you know the good old angel share going from the from the whiskey we try to get as much into the beer as possible um why the the jsp um and i guess one of the reasons i was thinking about this was i was chatting with someone the other day about stouts and porters and you generally don't see imperial porters that often anymore people just would probably call it a stout um and you know most people if they're doing a whiskey barrel they go we're just going to put an imperial stout in there you've made an imperial porter um did you consider doing an imperial stout or it was always going to be that beer but bigger i think in the lark barrels i think the a smoked porter lends itself to their whiskey simply because whilst they do use a small amount of peat and obviously tazzy peat, it it's not a uh, it's not a hefty peated whiskey like you would obviously get from uh, some of our friends over in Scotland. So that to me means that we're able to, I suppose, create a beer that utilizes the the whiskey characteristics in harmony as much as possible and i think to do for me an imperial stout uh being obviously a little bit more sort of accurate and having a little bit more of that roast to it actually suits itself to more the north american whiskies or rye whiskies um because they actually can complement each other and obviously offer a bit of balance to the the product that actually, or the beer that comes out at the end. Mm. How does uh, how does JSP do these days? The just the, the regular one is that still got a place in the in the lineup? Yeah, well, look, we uh, <laughs> it's uh, obviously just because of the last couple of years, packaged products become probably a lot more important in the mix. So mm. uh, that aside. I will we probably look at popularity of a beer of how it will sell on tap because if uh, you know in a in a bottle shop fridge these days there are so many different options and uh, it I suppose people are spoiled for choice there but if you go into a pub and they've got let's say six or eight taps and people are going to choose a smoke porter on on tap, I think that actually, uh shows that uh even in that environment people are willing to you know chow down on a <laughs> on a pint of a, a smoked porter i think that's a pretty good sign of a you know interest in a beer 
Good good mm. food beer too. Yeah, so true. Perfect with, you know, steak and three veg and those kind of pub type meals. Yeah, I, I really like that beer. Um, and it's one of those, you know, a smoked porter, it doesn't spring to mind if I'm going for a beer as the beer I'm going to grab. But if I see it on tap, I, I'll get it, absolutely. Um, and so it does go it does go well on tap for you guys? Yeah. Um, it, yes, it used to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry, Back current environment was standing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did actually. Um, once uh, the cooler months started setting in, um, yeah, it did become a, a sort of a, a staple on, on a few tap lineups. So, yeah, so that was good. Little pub pub meal drink. Very interesting. Just going back to the imperial version for a minute. I'm glad to hear you um, talk about that reason for using it because that's my biggest takeaway um, from the beer so far. Is that like the smoke element totally plays together, and you can't really determine whether it's from the beer or from the the whiskey. It's um it's unreal. Mm. Mm. Yeah, my experience with that was. I drank it far too quickly and just savoured the whole thing so well. So, um, and I think you're right, Dave. That that smoke element and the kind of integration was really, really gorgeous. Yeah, definitely. Drinks under the alcohol too. I think um, mm. personally. What was this one? Was this eleven point eight? Eleven point eight. Eleven point eight. That yeah. one. And shiny eyes on the label, which was fun. <laughs> you got to got to amuse yourself first. Luke, and then, uh, <laughs> hopefully that flows through to others. But I think the wolf is always yeah. watching. Yeah, I, I think it's a really important point about barrel aging beers of just making sure that whatever you're doing or whatever you're doing to a beer, whether it be you know for argument's sake putting lactose in there or whether it be putting it in a barrel, that it it actually enhances the the outcome for the person drinking it, and it's done to actually create something that. Sort of uh, bigger than the, you know, bigger than its components, and um, yeah, that look quite frankly, that is what has always attracted us to, you know, playing around with barrels because it does take, you know, quite a bit of care, quite a bit of skill, and quite a bit of record keeping as well. So, um, you know, when you're starting to get, I would be lucky enough to have probably about 80, yeah, probably circa 75 to 80 barrels with beer in them at um, any one time. So, um, you know, managing those in a brewery, I know it sounds kind of trivial, but it's actually really important. And even where we put them within the brewery, so rotating between height in the brewery is (laughs) a massive consideration. Um, Obviously, the higher they are in in the warehouse or in the brewery, the the more um, atmospheric changes they're going to get, hot, cold, moisture content. And, uh, you know, if you we're not lucky enough to have a specific barrel ageing um, store within our brewery, or, but uh, if you look at some of the larger breweries that do, they're actually, um, you know, quite well temperature controlled and quite well insulated. Uh, so, yeah, it definitely brings out the not only the art but also the uh, sort of science of it as well what's the level of variation at the moment um at the brewery with those kind of factors uh at the moment it's not too bad because obviously we're in we're in winter and um we you know during for example if we were in winter and we had the tap room open spring actually 
<laughs> well, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. It's still yeah. bloody cold today. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think if you you know if we had the tap room open, then you've obviously got heaters going and the like, and that kind of changes things. But at the moment, it's relatively stable. But you know, obviously, mid January, you've kind of <laughs> I think you probably got temperatures up to you know forty plus degrees on those hot days. Add another ten degrees as you go up to sort of six meters in height. So. Um, and yeah, obviously in breweries too, you have a lot of moisture from uh, steam and just water movement, hot water movement. So it, 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 it is pretty significant. And you'll see if you come to our brewery in mid, you know, mid-summer, you'll actually see a lot of the barrels bleeding. And uh, yeah, so we've spoken about Angel's Share, but what about Angel's Tears? That's probably that. <laughs> Yeah. it's pretty cool it's like molasses it's this yeah. uh, beer molasses so is that just soaking the water's opening up so much with the heat is i actually through, or? I, I, I don't actually know what technically is causing that it tastes like it's a, it looks like sap and it's a combination it, it tastes like a sort of i suppose a, a caramelized beer but it um it does have that sort of woody texture, that kind of oaky note to it as well. So, look, yeah. I, I think it would be basically beer that's had a lot of moisture evaporated out of it. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know the technical, I suppose, term or actual, um, I suppose, its components. Yeah. Is that um, undesirable or does it not really play any effect into what's inside? I don't think it plays into any effect of what's inside. I think it's actually a, a good sign that the barrel aging process is actually working at a pretty rapid rate. So how's the, how's the, the tap room going? How long, how, how long were you able to be open before everything went back to this? It's really hard to remember. It's three days. <laughs> that were oh, good three days. You know. yeah. Oh, like last time. Yeah, the three days we were open. Um, yeah, well, we've been open since end of November, November last year. Okay. Um, and, you know, we've all suffered through the same lockdowns together. Mm. Um, but you come out the other side. Um, yeah, so, you, so sticking along. You kind of got a summertime under your belt there. Um, how, how did it go? It was good. Uh, we, you know, we're just starting out trying to find our feet and, um, you know, make a bit of a song and dance around Morty Alec. Um, that's been really growing, which is good. And I think actually, I think even the lockdowns helped actually mm. us connect a lot more to the local area. And uh, we just get people riding their bikes past and, you know, pee out their beers on the way. And yeah, we get, it's even, it's actually grown a nice little community. Um, and we've got some wonderful bar staff that, um, that we uh, have the privilege of working with. And um, they've just created a great space there. And, yeah, we're just getting some wonderful locals, which is it's what we always wanted, you know, people to mm. come down and feel relaxed and come and have a beer. Mm. Yeah. So you're still doing takeaways and stuff out of the out of the brewery then? Yes, we do takeaways uh, Thursday, Friday and Saturday, 12 to 5. So Excellent. hop on down, come and have a beer if you're in the kilometre radius. <laughs> <laughs> I think, it, what is it, 15 kilometres now? It's 15 now, yeah. so it's yeah, pretty big. Um, I, I managed to stop in uh, maybe your first week of opening or your first, second week of opening. It was, it was lovely. You did. You did. Thank um, you. Yeah, it was a cool, like, we went there and then then got an Uber around to Boat Rocker. Um, and it was just a, a, 
like such a good day, you know, sunny, uh, the planes flying over your brewery, which is, uh, I didn't, I didn't know there was an airport there. It was great seeing planes, you know, it's like a talking point as you're sitting there drinking your beer and this small sort of private planes flying over. Yes, um, we are lucky to be right near Moorabbin Airport. Um, and and, that, and that's, just like, that's just like an airport for rich people in their planes, right? Um, pretty much. Yeah, sure. Stuff. Pretty yeah. much. Why not? Lots of crayfish coming in from King Island. Really? Mm. We yeah. don't get any of it, though. Well, not the crayfish. <laughs> we just get the jets. If you, can, oh. if you get the, the jets that come in, they'll actually shake the rafters in the brewery. That right, it, um, wow. be, yeah, pretty disconcerting if you're not used to it. Well, we, we've got these skylights in the brewery, so you, you'll be standing there and then all of a sudden a big shadow just casts itself across the, the, the roof and you think something's falling on you. <laughs> um, but it's just a plane zinging past. When you say jets, do you mean like the private private jet kind of things? Yeah, not the... Um, Joyrides. Yeah, they're, they're a decent size. You'd probably have a... You know, one rock star and a ten-person entourage in it. All right. Is there enough that they they make a? It's kind of like uh, being around Albert Park during Grand Grand Prix time. Not that loud, but it's that same that same type of sound, though, <laughs> as opposed to a little Cessna that's kind of bobbing along and. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've all been there. Just just the old rock star just jetting into Moorabbin Airport. Yeah. No First stop, walk for the Willows, Dave. <laughs> We, we've, we've considered writing just beer on the roof because we thought that could be not a nice little bit. I like that, yeah. That's what um, Otter's Promise just has beer on the front of their, their shop. And I think a lot of people just think that's the name of the shop. <laughs> uh, I, I heard people when I worked there, people were on the phone and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm at beer. You know the shop beer. <laughs> well, it's doing the job. It works. We are simple creatures. Now, I'm drinking the, the hazy, as I said earlier, um, I heard you, Scott, on Triple R uh, this weekend. Just gone Triple uh, R Radio here in Melbourne, talking about the history of IPA. Uh, I was cleaning my bathroom as you were talking, and I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna catch, Sparring. I'm gonna catch Scotty out here and he, when he trips up on the the history." But nah, you were spot on. Um, <laughs> but you talked you talked a little bit about hazy IPAs and, and kind of your approach to them being, you know, kind of one offs. Um, you know here and their releases rather than you know part of a, a core lineup uh can you kind of sort of expand on that i think <clears throat> look that that has come from i suppose the probably the new generation of brewing scene that we've had come through so historically hazy's an odd beer that I'd, I'd brewed so uh i suppose they they came from me moving out of the brewery and other more skilled and <laughs> new people coming in and young blood, young blood um, <laughs> and putting forward ideas around how to create hazies in on our brew kit and in our environment that how do I put this politely are done it we're, we're done in the right way so um some of the hazies I'd had in the past I'd not been a massive fan of and probably they showed me by presenting uh, beers that were, that, that really, you know, like I won't drink hazies all day, but they I've found they presented ones that appealed to my palate and just uh, 
showed certain brewing techniques. And so what started as, yeah, just sort of limited here and there, we're now starting to kind of revisit and start to not have, I suppose, a core range hazy, but start to have a, a regular series of them. What are the challenges you mentioned, you know, doing them on your kit? Um, well, you know, I guess, was that you just didn't know them as a brewer because, as you say, you didn't brew them? Or is there, you know, if you were going to redo the kit to make hazies, would you make a change to make it easier? We've been where we are in Mordialic now in probably different times to normal, whereby we're producing a lot more packaged, so sorry, canned product as opposed to our brewery being historically based on producing yeah, majority in keg. Mm. Um, so what that has is a flow-on effect for how you brew and how you condition your beers particularly. Um, so to be able to, uh, I suppose, if we were redesigning the brewery, um, yeah, there'd be certain equipment that we would try to install from the get-go and, um, uh, yeah, there'd certainly be things that we would look at purchasing that we, at the moment, quite frankly, we just can't afford to. So we kind of, compared to some other breweries, we're using more... Sorry, mate, it's been a long day. <laughs> um, we don't have a centrifuge, for example, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, a lot of the hazy... I'm sorry, I'm trying to make sure I don't step on toes here too. Um, just step on them. That's fine, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, 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 look, a centrifuge is used by a lot of the probably larger breweries that produce hazies quite regularly, and it just allows them to um, still produce awesome beers but push them through a lot quicker because they don't have to rely on uh, time and on uh, temperature in order to have all the hot particle drop out. So if we're going to produce a hazy, it puts, you know, anywhere from, yeah, probably eight to another fifth, uh, yeah, eight to another 12 to 14 days on the conditioning timing tank. And it also means that we actually reduce the amount of finished product that we're actually going to get out, you know, that the leader volume that we'll actually get to put into package. So that has both of those two things have considerable economic impact on, the costs that we can produce a beer for. So there's no point in us putting out a double hazy that costs $30 on the shelf. Um, so we, we, we've had to be selective there. And um, yeah, once we uh, obviously get a little bit more cash in bank, then look at some of these other options to produce hazy beers at probably a more cost-effective um, price point for us. It is kind of funny or interesting, the the you know the, the impression a lot of people have or or had and i think you know early on especially when hazy's first started coming out that you know it was lazy brewing it was easy to do you're just kind of putting out a mucky unfinished beer and as time has gone everyone's kind of realized that it's actually really fucking hard to make a good hazy <laughs> and expensive as well like it's yeah um yeah that's not a question. That's just a comment. Um, this is lovely, by the way. I'm, I'm drinking it Agreed way too quick. That. The um, the Innovision Two that I'm drinking is is really tasty. Uh, so the time certainly helps. Uh, I imagine you know the or a interview would help more. But yeah, it certainly you wouldn't know it drinking it. I guess. Yeah, and I think that that's um, a testament to the brewers we have in there. So um, we, we've. They're all, their names all begin with, uh, with J or one with A, but um, 
Yeah, so Josh, um, soon to be installed as head brewer, so I'm finally going to let that out of my grasp. Um, um, obviously, Jacob, who's been with us since day dot, and basically any beer that um, uh, you guys have ever drank, he, he has brewed. Um, and, obviously, and Jake, who's been with us for quite a number of years now and has worked his way up through the ranks and we're... Um, i got another gentleman, Andrash, who uh, has come from the same home brewing club, Bayside Brewers, that um, I've always been part of and, yeah, just trying to nurture people kind of through the ranks. And, uh, yeah, they basically uh, dictate what goes on in the brewery now. And, <laughs> um, the, you know, the, the Imperial JSP that you spoke about, Dave, and, and the Intervision that you've just mentioned, Luke, that's all of their work and testament to, yeah, what they're doing. It's Pretty special. Excellent. Is it cool hiring people out of the same homebrew club where you came up? <laughs> um, never thought about it like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I think um, Renee and I are both big believers in uh, if you if, if you're willing to work hard and you're willing to earn something, then go for it. Because you know, like. That's um, kind of what the, the foundations of what the business has been uh, built upon. And I think that's what the foundations of the Australian craft beer industry are built upon as well. And, um, yeah. And it's there, these young people coming through, they're sort of the next, you know, crew coming in. And it's good. It's nice to have fresh eyes and fresh minds and new ideas as well. So, yeah, yeah. we love working with them. They're good people. And what do you, what do you think about Hazy's now? now that you're making them out of your brewery? Uh, I like them still, but I can't have too many. I reckon they're, yeah. A couple will do. Yeah. Will do. Like I, but I'll sit on a West Coast IPA all night. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, like it just doesn't. So it's like you like the bitterness a bit more. I just like a happiness. little bit more savoury, I think, savory, with my yeah. palate. Yeah. Um, it's a sweeter style, isn't it? It's yeah. Sweet, but um, yeah. juicier, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Something about it kind of doesn't have the longevity as a clean bit of beer i think yeah i don't agree what about you what about you obviously both of you gentlemen like what would you you know the west coast east coast thing if you had to gravitate for one beer which as a style what would you go it's for not, it's not even a question like i've only just started to get get back into trying hazies because they just never won me over at the start i was never a fan of it and now there's just some like unreal versions of them that are undeniable but man i'm never gonna um pick one over a fresh west coast ipa though it's not gonna happen for me it depends on the brewery now and i i'm surprised i'd you know a year ago i would have said that but you know there are some breweries that are just making great great hazy beers that as dave said it's undeniable as a as a beer that you you have it you're like wow that's that's a, a delicious product and I'll happily drink that all, all night. Um, most breweries, though, I'd probably go for the, for a West Coast, you know, pound for pound. But, yeah, there's a handful out there that you'd, you know, a, a Bolter or a Mr. Banks, Hazy. Um, it's hard to look overlook that on a shelf. Uh, Deeds is the other one, I think. And um, specifically with them, I mean, they're – becoming just beasts of hazy beer but if i see their um check pilsner on the shelf that is first draft pick for me mm. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing. Thinking about, you mentioned, you know, the sweetness of, of the hazies and not being able to drink it all night. Uh, you know, the first couple with the, you know, the first couple of beers of the night, great. And then, yeah, heading towards Pilsner and West Coast IPA is probably where it goes. Particularly because it's like 440 mils almost across the board with those kind of beers. <laughs> so, like, it is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd be interested to hear what, like, I'm obviously the oldest here, but I'd be interested to see what, say, a 20 to 25 year old palates are, are thinking or what, um, you know, where, where their taste buds are going is probably the better expression for it. Um, well, that's the thing I think a lot of the people like ourselves that have been in the industry for, for a while now or seen it kind of grow to where it is now, we, um, you know, we don't realise that people are coming into this and they've only ever drunk hazy beers or they've exactly. only ever drunk, you know, they, they had a kettle sour their first time they had a, a, a beer they liked and went, well, this is just what I drink now. Yeah. Because that simply it wasn't possible five years ago for, for either thing to happen. So, yeah, there's going to be in the next two or three years, I think a strong generation of, of brewers or just customers, that's all they know. Uh, and that's kind of interesting. They've kind of, the rule book's been rewritten so quickly and suddenly, yeah, we're, what, you know, how does that look? And even kind of thrown out, you know, you like look at <clears throat> the, the renaissance of lagers these days and I wonder that is because some of the younger generation haven't grown up with the stigma of, the craft beer stigma of going, you're, you're, you know, you're drinking a lager. No, well, they didn't grow up with two beers in the fridge, Carlton Draft or VB. So maybe that um, they're coming from a different reference point um, to what all of us did. Yeah. I think it's also a little bit of like people with our level of, um, I don't know, like level of veteranship in the industry. Um, you get a bit of like cutting edge fatigue. It's like, I don't want to keep gambling my time and money on what might be garbage or might be great. I'm probably going to veer more towards something I know is going to be terrific. So I don't waste my time. Um, and then that sort of like pushes you towards something a little bit more like less out there in style or ambition. Um, and you sort of appreciate something that's really well-made before something that's totally different. I think there's, um, I always think of these things as a, a bit of a pendulum as well, where we needed to go full gabs for lack of a better, you know, <laughs> every, every brewery needed to, to yes. almost do that over the last five years, just so we could all be like, okay, this is where, what that looks like. Yeah. Um, and then it's going to swing back, you know, and eventually we're all kind of going to settle in the middle and it's yeah. going to get, you know, safe again. And we're going to have to go, all right someone's going to have to give it a nudge out. Yeah. And I, I We're either going to um, swing back to the other direction or someone's going to start bringing out 85 mil cans. <laughs> 85 <laughs> mil. <laughs> well, but I guess one of the cool things now is the, the pendulum is still swinging pretty far out there. Uh, you know, there's breweries making, you know, pushing whatever boundaries they can and, and selling beers. But then there's enough of a market that has swung back um, or there's just enough of market that you know there's a big market of people that just like to go to their local tap room. They don't really care about the beer. 
Um, they just want to go have a beer and they want to support a local business. And I think, you know, I think that's awesome too, that we can have, you know, they can go to somewhere like, like your tap room and get a really easy drinking beer. That's not going to freak them out, but they can also maybe get a 11% smoked porter in a barrel. Um, and I think that's cool. I think that's like, that's the best result for me. And I think that probably harks back to the, you know, the original days of the good English pub and, you know, the, the variety of beers that they would have had from the local area. And, you know, we basically our predominantly drinking Anglo-Saxon culture that we do have. Um, I think that's a, I think that's become even more exacerbated now because people aren't as city bound so to speak, because of the external environment. And I think that the local community, uh, you know, <laughs> we've almost become conditioned that we don't travel too far from home now. So um, being able to, yeah, to come to a, a place, whether it be a brewery or whether it just be one of the local pubs, but hopefully those, and we're seeing it even in Bayside, those local pubs are having a few, independent and varied taps as well so um there's always going to be one craft beer nerd in every group of mates so you know. and there's also going to be the person that just goes in and goes ah oh, what's that you know yeah, i've yeah. never seen that before I'll, I'll try that um and they might not ever get it again but it's cool that that's there for them sure. exactly. what was um opening the tap room did anything surprise you in terms of people coming in and what they wanted, you know, like people that you didn't expect wanting the extreme beers or um, beers that might have sold more than others? Uh, we've got a hazy paler, but it's just like a lower alcohol the called the Wolf Pup. And um, that's probably our popular beer. It's the biggest seller by it's far. It's the biggest seller. Wow. Um, yeah, and I think it's just a easy drinking. You can have a couple with some food and, yeah, I think that's probably what kind of people gravitate towards um and then yeah then you got the people gravitating towards the other stars as well um but yeah i think if people are just going to come in for a few um yeah and it's a hazy sort of style parallel as well so um yeah it's nice to see that that sort of shine do, do you think people go for the lower abv when they're in, in a tap room we're at destinations there's no not easily accessible public transport. So yeah, I reckon that's got a bit to do with it. Um, it'll depend on the, I suppose, the mentality of the groups that you get come through, whether they're there to sort of sit down and kind of do the full tasting paddles and really make it an outing or kind of just dropping through for a couple of beers and, and moving on. But I reckon what surprised me a little bit is we get quite a variety of, um, a gender split. We, we actually have probably pretty close to a 50-50 um, and actually, you know, I, look, stereotypically kind of breweries are like men go in, drink beer, eat mm -hmm. fatty food, go home, but, you know, like, whereas what we're seeing is um, actually groups of females of all ages coming in and actually sitting down and having a good couple of bottles of wine and, maybe, you know, a beer or two mixed in there, but the actual beer not necessarily 
being the focus of it, but more the perhaps the environment. And I think when I think about breweries and when I travel, when I go to, when I've, when we, historically, when I've been able to travel, when you go to a brewery, it's a very inviting environment. It's a very kind of acceptable, accepting environment. Um, and maybe that's what we're starting to see come through that, you know, perhaps, you know, the fe female gender is feeling like, well, cool. The brewery is not just for the boys. We can come down there and enjoy something other than beer as well, which, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the, it's good to see. Yeah, just relaxing vibe, you know. It's, no it's almost testament to making a good venue if people aren't coming in to drink the beer. What is testament <laughs> to a good venue? Like, <laughs> uh, kind of defeats the purpose for us, though, mate. You know? <laughs> uh, uh, so no. Obviously not. Well, you know? Yeah, just as important. yeah, and good yeah. spirits. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's I've I've said this. It's always been something I've, I've you know. People that, like if you're on holiday and you look in, you know, what's on in this town, if you see a brewery, you go, yeah. I'll, go I'll go look at that. Even if you don't care about beer, no matter who you are, almost, people will go, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a thing you to can, do. You get a pencil in a lunch or a dinner there for sure. Yeah. Um, and like you find it, yeah, when you're traveling with people that aren't beer people, you go eat at the brewery because it, it sounds like a thing. You know, there's, there's 20 restaurants in a brewery. We'll go look at that one. <laughs> Totally agree. I agree. And uh, hence, it's probably got a lot to do with <laughs> while we're talking tonight. <laughs> but it's good. We're, the area we're in now, it's um, there's some great breweries around. Like you can mm. actually, you know, you go to Bo Rocker or Mr. Banks or even, um, well, there's a distillery as well, yeah. um, St. Felix. St. Felix. Um, yeah. So we're kind of in this like little crafty nook now, now down in Morty. Bayside area, the Bayside Beer Belt, we're calling it. Um, yeah, and you know, Brayside as well. Um, no, there's some, yeah, there's some good little spots now. Stomp, stomping ground too, moving in, so mm. it's good. Got a little sort of a yeah bus bus trip now. It certainly makes it easier, like an easier decision to go out there. You know, I say out there as in from where I am now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not out there if you're already out there. It's just where you are, but. We'll send the jets to get you, right? Yeah, yeah. We've got the airport. <laughs> but yeah, you know, if if I can go go visit two or three places, it's like, oh, that's you know, that's a fun day out. So it's it's a cool, it's cool to see, you know, more more places popping up. And even like where Dave is, you know, to go to Three Ravens, it's mm. it's quite far for me to get to. But you know, I, maybe I get to see Dave and go to Three Ravens, and then <laughs> then yeah. then go to Jam Sheet and and maybe Moondog World if I. If I want to take the punishment of Moondog World, <laughs> <laughs> the next step. That's yeah, that's cool. involved. That, that's not even a brewery anymore. I don't think. Like <laughs> it's the times that I've been there, like it's not our crowd. It's just like a a destination venue. Like yeah. just anecdotally, the amount of just like seltzer and cocktails that I see getting moved around there is um. Yeah, like almost, it, it, you'd say it far outweighs the beer or over the counter, but um, I mean, it's always full. I, th I think uh, I think that's the seltzer is true of their whole brand now, isn't it? Moondog, they sell a lot of fizzer. How does, yeah, I don't um, know over the winter, but um, I mean, you see plenty of, I mean, I see sort of like social ads for it and that sort of stuff. So I'm sure it's moving. 
uh, when I went to drink uh, or went to the brewery and I went to get the seltzer, first thing I got and it was sold out. Um, <laughs> sold out on the first night. How, how Scarcity breeds demand, mate. Yeah. How does seltzer go, I guess, now that, I mean, probably it's harder to know now that it's not on tap is, you know, has it sold or is it kind of stalled until the tap room comes back, do you think? Uh, look, I think as Dave mentioned, seltzer over winter, you know, does slow down a little bit. Um, yeah, obviously, look, wholeheartedly, I, I drink seltzer. I actually like it. I think, um, and as a, a brewer, the irony is that a lot of brewers turn their nose up at it, but to do it properly is quite difficult. And, uh, yeah, we've we mucked around with it for quite a while and had some pretty ordinary um, outcomes. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think if we touch upon, you know, we spoke about low alcohol, lower alcohol being a lower alcohol beer, a 4%, you know, hazy beer being our biggest seller. Um, and then you think about seltzer and being traditionally a little bit lower alcohol, obviously touching upon lower calorie, gluten, low gluten or gluten free. And, um, I think it ticks a lot of boxes for the, the broader market. And yeah, you know, Moondog do a great dog, great job of kind of creating a bit of fun around that. And, um, you know, quite frankly, they've, they've smashed it out of the park for a, a non big uh, global conglomerate brand and what they've done with it here in Australia. I think it's pretty commendable. So mm. um, what, um, what, what are some of the challenges in making it? Uh, it's basically because of the ingredients that you're using, the, the grains that you're using, they don't have some of the, uh, conversion enzymes or natural nutrients that say barley and wheat do. So managing those appropriately and feeding the yeast so that you basically don't get this big, basically it tastes like water with yeast faults or throughout it. Um, I've had seltzers that are just those and it's, it's like drinking a yeah, fart basically. Exactly. And it's, it's, yeah, I think, so I reckon seltzers are going through a stage of where we saw hazies go through initially, where basically people were trying to brew them, not really understand. I'm sorry. We, I speak for myself or for our brewery as well. And hence why we kind of were careful about hazies for quite a while. And why we didn't release like you didn't know this, mate. We were literally in the next three weeks releasing our proper seltzer brand. So awesome. This, this good timing. But um, <laughs> yeah, um that, that's I, I didn't ask that because I knew that at all. <laughs> <laughs> um I'll I'll slip you the, the 50 later, all right? Okay. But, um, <laughs> um but look the, the point being that yeah, like there's probably been products both at the start of the hazy kind of um push and now with seltzers that have been released possibly before they should have. Um, and unfortunately that can taint the experience for some consumers, but I think now we're probably going to start to see a bit of a, a consistency with the seltzers coming out, hopefully. And, um, yeah, I reckon, I, I hope a lot of independent locally made seltzers kind of take the market rather than the, um, kind of big imports coming from overseas. Are you, so you're doing a whole new brand? It's not a new brand. Yeah, cool. Is it kind of similar to Wolf of the Willows? Like you'll see a thing there. It's completely different. 
no. How, how much can you say just yet? I'll, I'll, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to preempt the announcement. <laughs> uh, no, it'll be very different. So, like, obviously, the uh, the beauty of um, doing things uh, <clears throat> via a podcast means that you can't see how much grey hair I have right now. And um, yeah, I I think we we kind of use seltzers as yeah coming through in that younger. Uh, generation and more probably health conscious than we are and um so yeah very very different brand very different feel um you also did it speaking of the the kind of health conscious and i know that's a, a contested thing when it comes to alcohol um you know i i don't understand the science and i, I honestly am not super fussed on it either way but you've released a, a locale lager um, which I drank in the park and I'm, you know, it was delicious. I, 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 I don't know about what, what health claims either way, but can you, can, <laughs> you, can you talk about that a little bit as well? Like, you know, is, is it actually healthier? Do you, do you know the science behind it? <laughs> I, I hope I do, mate, because okay. I'll put on the label, but um, <laughs> no, no, no. So in order to claim, sorry, in order, no, no, it's not claim. I should correct terminology, in order to state low calorie or low carb, we have to get it tested by an external lab and put the nutrition panel on the side of the can. So, um, and that sort of jumps into any of the seltzers if you actually look at them, hence why they can say either low gluten or gluten-free, why they can say low calorie or low sugar. Um, So, um, and interestingly, just as a little being nerdy thing there is obviously a lot of debate going on at the moment because of by 2026 all beer will have to actually have the nutrition panel put on the side of the cans um oops sorry speak as if everyone should be drinking cans which they should be but um (laughs) um, so yeah people are going to see a lot more of that sort of noting of in uh, component sorry what beer actually does contain so you know sodium and Calories, protein, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but with the, I suppose, with the low calorie beer for us, um, it's basically by using a enzyme that allows the breakdown of all the, you know, the, basically the dextrins that are left after normal fermentation into smaller chain um, sugar molecules that basically the, the yeast can continue eating. And it's, Wow, this is a pretty good segue, mate. This is—it all came from our lovely uh, work doing the the, the brewed IPA yeah. back in the day. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So that's the same enzyme or similar enzyme. Exactly the same enzyme. So yeah, right. that that whole process with that collab that we did with you both—that um, uh, looking at how that worked, understanding how the yeast behaved, how. Um, it basically affected the beer, probably sparked the seed. And, um, you know, for example, our Pacific Sour is actually a, technically a low-calorie beer as well. It's got basically no sugar left in it. Um, obviously, alcohol breeds um, calories. Um, and that's probably, to answer your question directly, that's where I look at it and go, alcohol is alcohol. And if you're drinking an alcoholic product, to me, when I consume it, I, I accept that I am drinking what some people would say is detrimental 
to parts of my health in excess. Mm. If, if I can be drinking something else, if I can be drinking a product that perhaps has less sugar or less carb, um, carbs from other sources in it, very quietly, maybe I can have another beer. So, um, but um, it, it's probably harm reduction rather than harm um, removal. It's, it's not a vitamin boost, but it's not as bad as a... Oh, you've just taken an idea for our next beer. <laughs> yeah, I, um, didn't Stone and Wood do that? They did the... Um, uh, the um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> re- reinvigor- reinvigorate. That's the one. Uh, which was, and I haven't chatted to them about this, but I reckon what they learned from doing that became or went into doing the East Coast 2.8% beer they did um because i don't know if you guys had that one but it was it it certainly didn't taste like a 2.8 percent sour it it was full of like richness and and body and everything and it really reminded me of that the reinvigor reinvigorate you know whatever that was lucasade style beer and i think it's the same thing you know very mouthful reinvigorate that's (laughs) that's why it never went yeah (laughs) yeah um, but you know, and it's kind of inter- interesting. Sorry, people, Luke, go. Oh, sorry. The people playing around with, you know, one one-off releases like a brute or a, or the reinvigorate, and then it sparks something, and they go, "Oh, if we applied that to our regular, you know, one of our core beers or a beer that's a bit more, you know, market ready, what will happen, and and how can we use that?" And I think that's really cool. Yeah, I think the thing too, like. Like I, I traditionally don't like too much sweetness in beers. So by having the low calorie um, concept in say a lager, you really dry it out and you really allow the hops to push through. And that's, you know, yet again, and I'm speaking on behalf of our brewery team. I want to be very clear. <laughs> um, you know, that's where the whole concept of a low calorie hoppy beer really came from. And uh, like, I think once we can open the tap room, that will potentially surpass uh, where we go with, say, the sales of the pup because, um, yeah, really good thirst quencher and regardless of whether it's low or, you know, normal calories. Mm. Um, With that in mind, do you think that the push towards having all the packaged beers requiring that information, does that um, help the, like, lower cal market? or portfolio of beers, if their knowledge is complete around all the beers, does that become a new subset, do you think? I think it does. Uh, I don't know. I don't know many, I don't know many brewers that could tell you what an average 5% beer has, how many calories they have. So I'd be very surprised if most beer consumers could either. Um, Yeah, so I, I think it will. And I wonder... Actually, it's an interesting point because you look at people like Firestone Walker and, for example, in the States, they have a low-calorie kind of range these days. And I wonder, being Californian, I wonder, I don't know whether the nutritional panel is mandatory there yet, but it probably would be one of the first states to, to mandate it if, if, if it was to be. So perhaps that is a reason why that's become more popular in the States. I think it's a lot more analysed in the States than it is here. I think um, I I couldn't tell you where I got it from, but I'm pretty sure when they lab test their beers in America, it it also, it comes with a caloric value as well. 
So they get back the data that has their um, yep. energy information too. Okay. Um, so I've, I've like, I've, I've read from a few things that like that information is available or I've sort of thought, Oh, I've never seen that for anyone here before. So that's kind of interesting, but um, I think that's what, I think that awareness is what is, has sort of like pushed the seltzer market. So um, I think it could probably do the same thing for beer. If it's, if all that information is available, I think it's going to push it that way or a, a, a part of it that way. Yeah, I think it's, and it comes back to, I guess, what we're saying is people that don't really care about the beer, they just want to go to a place. Equally, there's people that really care about what's in their beer and, and you know, if it's compared to wine or a regular beer, they might be getting a, a smaller health difference from it, so they're going to go for that. Yeah. Um, that. Like the reduction factor rather than the yeah complete removal or avoidance. Whereas there's probably people, I, I mean, I, I don't think I'll ever look or really care or even look at it and I'll go, oh, oh cool, 582. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what that that's, means. <laughs> that's, that's a big beer, mate. It's a 18% thumper. And a, I, a I have no idea. That's a requirement, I think, yeah. And like, you know, doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> really, really. I mean, it's probably, you know, if I was to drink an 18% beer, I'd hate it because my, my <laughs> diet is not that at all. But like... Yeah, um, the the if the food safety Australia New Zealand the labelling that you're talking about that hasn't gone through yet though has it? No, no. So the actually the obviously the IBA put out. That, a that's survey. why I'm like that hasn't gone through because I think we're still no, protesting no. against the IBA. Um, <laughs> but I probably look at it. Um, I hate to say it. I think it's a matter of when, not if. Yeah. Um, yeah. If it doesn't go and, through now, you'd have to expect it to go through at some stage. Yeah. Much like the pregnancy warning, um, the lovely addition to all our labels now, and yeah. So I, it's probably me more psychologically preparing for the extra workload that comes with having to get everything analysed and then include that on labels from a design point of view. Um, um, there are almost I mean there's people arguing you know it's a slippery slope along those lines, sorry, before we um, before we abandon that altogether that topic is there no um, carryover between packaged goods and draft beer with the information that's required to be provided to customers so if that came in I've never heard of that but like is that a, like, is that a consideration that if you have to make those um that information available with a packaged product, do you have to make any considerations on premise? Not that I've seen, but for example, when we launch our lovely new seltzer website to the world, the nutritional which is, information. Which is called, sorry. Yeah. No. Summer vibes with the Z. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, um, that, like, for example, we'll be putting the nutritional panels up on. To, to have that information available to people who it's it, in this, in that instance, it's part of providing information, but it's also the marketing tool. So I wonder Dave, whether, you know, if on a nutritional panel, you have, you know, calories per hundred mil, not just calories per container. So um, it may end up that you have to have that as publicly displayed somewhere in order for people to make, an informed decision on draft beer, it wouldn't surprise me. 
what I mean, draft you only need to display ABV, ABV. but that's not even you. That's the it's the venue, doesn't it? Correct. Yep. So yeah. I, I think ABV and also serving size is what they need. ABV and serving size, and then people have to make their own, which is interesting, own judgment on um, standard drinks. Yeah, do that calculation, huh? 100 mils of an 18% <laughs> beer, go. Yeah, how tall are you? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I'd be surprised if it does carry through to the the tap stuff, but yeah, I guess we, I, I, I haven't read the whole thing, so yeah. Um, I guess what I was going to say is the amount of pushback on labeling, you know, there is risks one day there's going to be a push for plain packaging and beer, the same as cigarettes. And, you know, it's almost, you need to make concessions now. And, you know, as I said, the, the argument around slippery slope, is it a slippery slope to, all right, if we put nutrition on, then what's the next thing that people are going to demand or ask for? Um, I don't think it'll ever get to plain packaging. I, don't, I just think that'll, I, I don't think there's any decision that makes sense, but you probably would have said the same in the eighties about cigarettes. You know, when Rothmans is driving Formula One cars around the track, you would never have said, "Oh yeah, you're not going to see them ever again after the year 2010." Um, I don't know. No question there. That's just a, it's a big thought, really. Outside of a venue expanding into a package market how would any new business be able to compete when it's plain packaging how would politicians get to gloat about drinking penfolds if they can't show the labels so <laughs> you know like they're the ones that are ultimately making the decisions of people that love a bottle of red and that's going to be penfolds in australia uh and there's no slide on penfolds but you know that's the, the people that drink yeah, that we're stuff. drawing caricatures here yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah wow um we've got yeah, kind of yeah. sorry renee oh but this sort of goes like even just social media and just the way you you know you promote your brand and everything like that like it, it, not, it just wouldn't make sense if it was all sort of blank and i don't know it just kind of goes away from that whole you know i mean it just like eliminates oh, so much joy about it as well <laughs> So much competition. So th thank you for giving Lion Nathan and CB a healthy tip here for what they should be lobbying the government for. <laughs> I, I see my theory is they've, while they're saying they're selling more beer during the pandemic, um, going purely on packaged beer and saying our package sales are up, uh, look how good we're doing. I feel like for a lot of consumers, not being able to go into a pub and see, you know, Carlton or VB on tap immediately has maybe changed a few buying habits. Um, just that's purely anecdotally. And I mean, we do, there's no way we can find that out really without a massive survey because they're saying, you know, look how much more bottles of VB we sold last year. Um, but then you talk to some consumers and they're like, yeah, I've started buying smaller beer products because I, you know, they're marketing directly to me on social media now. Um, or even if you like look at a... Um a more slight step and you look at how much furphy is going around like it is unbelievable how many cans of that i see crushed on the street or whatever or it's like that is making a huge push on that market i reckon mm. Mm. 
Um, we got completely sidetracked here, didn't we? Yeah, didn't we? <laughs> we got dystopia. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all in Melbourne for people that are listening to this you know, like in the future. <laughs> We've been inside Which, for 18 months. Um, I mean, I'm just Our thinking about Melbourne now. It would be pretty great to go to a someone behind the bar at a bottle shop with nothing on the shelves and go, mate, have you got an Imperial JSP? Yeah, I'll sort you out. <laughs> I, I'm through Blade for, Runner style. Yeah. Um, so what else is what else is happening? What else is in barrels that uh, might be exciting to look forward to? Um, so we, yeah, so we're doing our second year of the whiskey sour. So, oh, yeah. yet again, kind of taking that barrel exchange project idea with the Imperial JSP and. Uh, re-seasoning barrels <clears throat> that had the Imperial JSP in them and that were not sent back to Lark for them to finish um, a whiskey in and actually re-seasoning those with more whiskey and then putting a basically a, an Imperial uh, blonde sour in those and uh, <laughs> lots and lots and lots of lemon peel and... Uh, so that will be, and sorry, I should say a yet again continuing the smoked malt, um, uh, I suppose direction that we we like. So I, I love smoked products. Like I, yeah, it's a bit sad to say. I think I'll die of um, a heart attack at a very young age. But jerky and cabana and <laughs> proper bacon. Just, um, just to lighten the mood from our previous <laughs> chat a little bit. Yeah. yeah I know. <laughs> That's why I drink low-calorie beer, you see, yeah, to yeah. wash down the nitrate and the salt. Um, <clears throat> so just a, a little a little bit of um, beechwood smoke malt and uh, and then served on nitro in the cans or on uh, in kegs, depending on the tap system that people, um, if they do have a nitro system. So really trying to mimic that um, original whiskey sour cocktail and uh, just a nice little way to have a, a whiskey barrel aged beer that's actually you can enjoy in the heat of summer basically so that'll be uh start of december awesome start of, start oh, of december great well, well so you've made that before haven't you yeah so it's the second year it's the second year we've done it and, what was um, that called uh the lark barrel aged whiskey sour of course yeah. <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure i tried it maybe i must have i feel like i did yeah, we, we didn't do it too much of it last year so uh, a little bit more this year which will be cool to um see that pop out and um yeah so look we um that's probably the extent of the barrels that we've got going at the moment um obviously we we do do um the collaboration with the gospel rye whiskey in brunswick where we yeah we put an imperial stout in their barrels um so they're kind of our two key I suppose barrel aged um, winter releases, and and that's where probably the, as we spoke about earlier, having that lovely sweetness and spice from the the rye whiskey. I think that's where personally a, um, a, an imperial stout um, become that whiskey, and obviously having more of the American oak uh, flavors coming through as well really balances out um, some of the characteristics of the imperial stout. 
their uh, their whiskey, their rye is really good. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I think I think they've definitely um, they've found a really cool niche and delivered it really well. And um, yeah, the uh, if if they ever open it up to the public, it's a really really interesting way that they actually because they, they use unmalted rye unmalted australian rye and they basically uh mash and ferment in the same process and it's incredible to watch the infrastructure they stainless infrastructure they use um it's, it's yeah it's, it's not like a normal brewing process it had me gobsmacked for quite a few hours when i was lucky enough to sort of sit there and uh uh observe so I've, yeah I've, I've heard about it and i yeah i'm so curious because i don't i don't understand it you know when people explain it it's confusing to me like it, it i would love to say that i'm fully across it and even after yeah spending a good couple of hours watching it and it was all designed by them too so it's not it's not and including the the stills that they use so it's not like they've um how would i bought how would i say it just bought off um Amazon over in the US and then shipped it over here. And mm. yeah, there, there's been many years of thought uh, go into it. And uh, yeah, I think what we're starting to see with their decanting now and what they're releasing to market, it's definitely um, testament to, um, yeah, the, we're seeing the fruits of their labour. Even their their base one at the Solera Rye. Solera, yeah. And the price point of that, um, you know, is... For us, it's just kind of become our, if we're just getting something for the house, you know, our house to put in cocktails, it's kind of a no-brainer that that's, that's what we're going for. Um, and I think I did, I did a tasting, like, in between lockdowns, some sort of small festival at Beard Lux or attached to Beard Lux, and they had their whiskeys on, and I'd forgotten which one that I, I always had, and I, I thought it was the other one that I had in the cupboard, so I said, I'll try that one. I was like, oh, I really like that. It's so good. And then <laughs> after a while, I was like, I twigged. I'm like, oh, no, that's the one I I knew that I already liked. And it was kind of good to have it confirmed in a blind tasting, thinking I was tasting a more premium product. I was like, oh, I still like that one more than your more premium ones, I think. Um, yeah. Well, it's a great sign, actually. I think, um, you know, let's face it, people, you need to make alcohol approachable from a, a cost point of view. And um to be able to do that and still be an independent, you know, small business, I think is, um, yeah, a, a pretty decent achievement. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of, of like what, what <clears throat> um, obviously, uh, you know, with most small craft breweries or distillers or produ alcohol producers, the, the whole on-premise market is such a, a huge way to get, trial of their products because consumers are a lot more um uh, i suppose they're, they're they're open to trying different things when they go out and one, once that opens up again i reckon in 18 months time particularly in melbourne like there'll be a lot of people that'll be drinking that that is their go-to as you do luke mm, mm. have you had it dave no i haven't I'm but like i'm pretty keen to try it now though yeah, yeah. it's really really fun so just on that note, one of the things we will be doing with the seltzers is trying to combine that sort of boilermaker aspect to um, not just drinking the seltzer the way it is neat, but with, you know, a good 
a good local spirit or a good indie spirit on the side. I think, um, yeah, hopefully that's... Um, that's a terrific idea. Yeah. A yeah. little bit different, you know, like late night, like obviously hope once we can all get out and about, like, um, you know, past uh, when Cinderella should be home, we sometimes I don't really want to drink beer and... Um, yeah, I don't really want to – I love rum, but I, to have a big sugar hit with it as well, like that's where I start to feel pretty poor the next yeah. day. So um, I reckon we'll see a bit more of that with seltzers as well. We um, – yeah, my friend Anna that used to work at the IBA, when it, you know, if we're out together at an event, probably about 10.30, we would start – you know, we'd look at each other and be like, gin and soda? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly what you need it. And I think seltzer yeah. – for me, feels that same that same thing. You just high carbonation, refreshing. I still kind of want to drink. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the soda water with, um, you know, a short macchiato, or you know, like a, hmm. just a, you know, so just cleanse the palate a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I reckon we've covered a lot. I think this is a probably pretty good time to wrap up. Dave, anything you want to ask before we do? Um, no, I'm just keen to get down there when everything opens up. I want to come and visit. Yeah, hopefully. Are you guys going to be opening October 27th? Is that the plan? We'll, 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 we'll at yeah. this point, yeah, we'll open with a, whatever we're allowed outside just to, um, cool. so we can have a beer in a glass. It didn't come <laughs> out of sure. a can. Yeah, That <laughs> first beer is going to be like the yeah. thing that dreams are made of, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first, I'm, beer, I'm looking... the first beer every time has been great. <laughs> every six <laughs> times that we've done this. <laughs> I'm looking forward to um, the uh, the Bolter video that comes out. To, um, oh, yeah. so with, with Luke and Dave, like to, to get them on full tilt on uh, the, the pubs opening up. They'll just release the one they did already, right? They spent too much money on that first one that they... Yeah, that's right. That is a challenge to you, Luke and Dave, by the way. So, uh, oh, to, to like do a Bolter parody video. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Nick Kappa, who does have a beer guest of the year and uh, stuff on the, the YouTube channel we did, he's in all the Bolter videos as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we could probably we could probably rope him in because, you know, he's an easy target. We know him. There you go. See, make, get, get from it. behind the podcast into the visual aspect. There you go. It's too much bloody work. <laughs> yeah, true. true. My, um, my, my track record on fun um, on beer videos isn't good because do you remember I'd say seven or eight years ago when Crafty Pint did that um, shit beer gig, say, beer video? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. James came to me and he said, hey, we want you and your mate Ryan to like be shit beer gig, say. We think that'd be a great angle. And I was like... Nah, don't see it. <laughs> and then it became like a big video, and I was like, "God damn it!" Yeah, that's <laughs> a, uh, people still quote that video. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I was like, "It'll never work. It'll never be funny." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, well, next time, Dave. What else have you rejected yeah. lately, Dave? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I've let my lesson. I've just accepted everything so far. And it's been nothing. It's been nothing. Yes, man. <laughs> Uh, anything you both want to add before we before we wrap up? Thank you just both for having us on. And, yeah, it's nice to have a little chat about beer and, you know, 
yeah, I hope everyone's doing all right out there. It's a bit, bit tough, but, you know, we've got to look, look forward and with only a few weeks to go and hopefully we can all have a beer and enjoy some the sun on our face and hang out with some mates. The end is near. The end is near. Yeah. It's been good to see your faces. It's a shame that my camera isn't working, but um, it is like, it just feels like it's new. <laughs> it feels like it's um, an extra bit of... Uh, connection when you see someone's face and someone's smiling and talking so it's good to see yeah yeah thank you um thanks for having us thank you for having us no absolutely no. our pleasure and where do people find you or information about the tap room just the website yeah uh wolf willows.com.au and um obviously uh instagram is probably our preferred social media and uh, look forward to, yeah, sharing um, some new developments very shortly. Awesome. Dave, where do people find you? Send me an email, davidalavertime.com. Um, how about you, Luke? Uh, alavertime.com for everything. Uh, at Alavertime and Hypothetical Institute, if you want to listen to conspiracy stuff. Uh, we talked about dolphins last week. Uh, a lot of, lot of conspiracies around dolphins out there. And this week, we're talking about the Zodiac Killer. Uh, they've uncovered the Zodiac Killer, so we're going to... He was found, wasn't he? And his name, isn't his name like Greg or something like that? Yes, uh, Gary. 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 That is it. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things when you uncover a big mystery and it's just a bloke named Gary. It's like, all yeah, oh, right, what, what did you expect it was going to be? Um, but we don't actually think they found them. We think there's a bit of a bit of trickery going on. So tune into the Hypothetical in. Institute for all that stuff. Um, thanks, everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.